This message is brought to you by Twelve Stone Church. Please enjoy Pastor Benji Kelly as he delivers the teaching entitled Free. We hope it serves you well. Twelve Stone, I am so excited to introduce you to my friend who's going to be teaching us today. His name is Benji Kelly. We met back in 2000. And in 2002, he and his wife, Amy Lynn, planted a church, New Hope Church. It's in the Chapel Hill, North Carolina territory. And God has used that church mightily, literally touching thousands and thousands of lives. It's a multi-campus congregation across the Carolinas. And as soon as I start talking about those kind of factors, you think, oh, Benji must have had such a charmed life. (laughs) That's why I want you to hear from Benji today. This is going to be powerful. He can speak to the power of Jesus to set you free like few people. And this is going to mark us today. It's going to transform us. It's going to reset some things in the way we see Jesus and navigate faith. I am just so excited that you are here. So, 12 Stone, I want you across the campuses to get your Bibles, get your pens out, get your teaching notes, get ready. In fact, why don't we just put our hands together across all the campuses, put our hands together for Benji Kelly. Benji, come on up, my brother. So good to have you with us today. Come on, my friend. How are we doing, 12 Stone? You guys doing good? It is so good to be with you. I am honored to be at 12 Stone Church. Your reputation precedes you. As PK said, I have been following 12 Stone since the year 2000. I am a big fan of this church and what God is doing here in the Atlanta area and beyond. And I must say, I am a big fan of your pastor. He is a personal friend. We ride Harley Davidsons together. We travel together. We do ministry together. And he has personally become a mentor for me. I hope you know you are shepherded and led by one of the most remarkable, intellectual, passionate, sharp leaders in the nation. And I think it would be most appropriate today if we just show some honor where honor is due. What do you say? Let's honor Pastor Kevin Myers, I love that brother. He has meant so very much to me. Everybody say free. Free. I want to talk to you today about the power of God to take a life and set a person free. I want to talk to you today about the power of our God to be a bondage breaker, a storm soother, a miraculous healer who can take a life, any age, any ethnicity, and can set a person free 
to be all that God has destined them to be. John 8, 36, some of you probably know that verse of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. It's in John 8, 36. And it's really just one verse. We're gonna hunker down on one verse today and I'm gonna do what PK has asked me to do. I'm just going to share with you my story. My story of a wretch like me who was set free by the power of of the gospel. And John 8, 36 sums it all up. It's one verse. The Bible says this. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I'd imagine you know that verse or you can see that verse. I want you to say that along with me. Ready? Go. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I've not always been free in Christ. I've actually... Most of my life, I've lived in bondage to things that I should not have been involved in. For me, it started at a very young age. I was 11 years old, 11 years old. Now, some of you have children and you're gonna be hard, it's gonna be hard for you to imagine 11 year old child doing what I started to do as I was raised in Sumter, South Carolina. 11 years old, I mean, my youngest kid is 11 years old. I have five kids, five kids. People ask me all the time, Pastor, do you know what causes that? <laughs> to which I say, yes, we just have not been willing to give that up at this point in time. <laughs> five kids. And my youngest is 11. It's hard for me to believe, even as I look back on it now, that at 11 years old, I started doing drugs. I stumbled upon some neighborhood buddies in a garage and our hometown of Sumter and they were smoking marijuana and they asked me, did I want any? I said, yes. And what happened from that point forward was a story of a child who became a young man who was living in such bondage and such addiction a young man who was committing slow suicide and a young man who came that very close to losing his life, not once, not twice, but about three times. Started when I was going into the sixth grade. As my middle school years unfolded, the marijuana quickly became LSD. And by the time I was in the eighth grade, I was smoking crack and had a very extreme addiction. You see, I didn't grow up in the church. My family never went to church. It's not like we were unchurched or de-churched. We were never churched. And so I was a young person looking back on it now. I didn't know it then, but looking back on it now, I was a young person who was desperately searching for something, desperately searching in the words of Pascal, that great philosopher who said that, that we're all made with a God-shaped vacuum, right? That only Christ Jesus can fill. And I was searching. And by the time I was in the eighth grade, I was selling marijuana so that I could support my crack addiction. I was arrested for the very first time in the eighth grade in the middle school bathroom I was arrested for simple possession of marijuana and drug paraphernalia. 
But what that did was that led me down a six year road that I'll take a very long story today and I'll, I'll make it short. It led me down a six year journey where I was arrested seven times in a six year period. By the time I was in the ninth grade, my parents started having marital problems. I knew it was getting bad when my dad started sleeping on the couch and I knew the marriage was coming to an end when I noticed his wedding ring on the end table. In my ninth grade year, my parents got divorced and I basically said, if you can't live together, I don't wanna live with either one of you. And so at the end of my ninth grade year, going into the 10th grade, I left home. I was a 10th grader, out on my own. In the middle of the 10th grade year, I quit high school. Yes, you are looking at a high school dropout. I lived in a trailer park with a group of guys and all we did from sun up to sundown was drugs and fight. I was in a gang, we fought all the time. It was violence, it was drugs, it was selling mass amounts of marijuana, pounds a week just to support the crack addict. Before long, I turned to heroin and I was mixing heroin and crack. And it was a deadly cocktail. I was arrested for the second time in the ninth grade for possession of marijuana and crack cocaine. I was arrested the third time. I'm not proud to tell you this, but I was arrested for grand larceny. I was the guy who would break into your house and steal your stuff. I remember so vividly, it's one of my, my greatest, most painful regrets. Right before I dropped out of high school, a group of guys and I broke into a house. We did this regularly, but this night is most vivid to me. We stole all kinds of stuff, we stole guns. But before we left, we decided we were gonna destroy the house. And so we destroyed the house. Church, I was a sin-scarred, hell-bound, broken, jacked-up individual who was so wrapped up in bondage, so wrapped up in addiction, I had no idea that there was a God who could set me free. I had never heard the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you might've grown up in the church, so, so you know verses of scripture, you know that God loves you. I never, ever heard it. I never knew that God made me, that God loved me, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a blood-stained cross for me. I never understood it all. But in September of 1988, the yogurt hit the fan, if you will. <laughs> and it all started to come to a head. I had been arrested seven times. I've left some of them out because I don't need to just, I don't need to bore you with all of the details. It was, it was drug bust after drug bust after grand larceny bust after violence. It was, just, it was just one horrific, painful, regrettable story. But on October, 
actually September 23rd, 1988. I am in downtown Sumter, South Carolina. I had been smoking crack for 48 hours. By this point in time, I'm 17 going on 18 years old. I am 135 pounds, hair down to my butt, in this gang, fighting and strung out. I mean, I look like death. I pull into a Burger King. I go into a Burger King bathroom stall and I hit the deadly concoction again of crack cocaine and heroin. By this point in time, I'm speedballing and joining those two things. And let me just pause right here and say this to you as a church. We're all keenly aware of the opiate addiction that's an epidemic right now in our country. Do anything you can to educate your children. As an aside, five of my closest running buddies, notice I don't call them friends, running buddies from those days. Out of five of them, three are buried six feet underground and two are still doing 20 plus years in prison. It's not a laughing matter as many parts of our country continue to kind of wink at drugs and legalize drugs and all of that. It is dangerous and be very, very careful. I'm in the Burger King parking lot. I'm strung out. I've been going for 48 hours and I overdose for the third time in my life. And I don't remember a lot of the story that I'm going to tell you. I'm only going to tell you the parts of the story that I clearly remember. I'm in the stall and I hit the drugs again and I overdosed and I started face planting in the bathroom stall. I, I could not stand up and stay standing. I don't remember a lot of what took place in there. I think I was in there for a little while, but I do remember crawling out of the Burger King bathroom stall into the restaurant. I remember crawling toward the door. I mean, get a, get a visual of this in your mind, how sick and sad this is. I make it outside of Burger King. I think I get to my feet, but the next thing I really remember is sitting in my vehicle, which by the way, was a 1968 bad to the bone Mustang. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. It, it, it was bad. White 1968 Mustang. I get in the car. I'm nodding in and out from this overdose state. And I back up. And I remember running into an elderly couple. I didn't hit them, I hit their car. <laughs> Thank the Lord, right? I hit their car and I remember them getting out of the car. I particularly remember the, the older gentleman coming around trying to speak sense to me and all I could do was throw it into first gear and hightail it out of the Burger King parking lot. Hit and run number one. I came out of the Burger King parking lot and I crossed over into Broad Street, the main thoroughfare through Sumter, South Carolina, went just a few blocks down into a major intersection and had a head-on collision with another car. I vaguely remember throwing him in reverse, taking a ride on Westmark Boulevard. I know these, these street names mean nothing to you, but it helps me tell the story. I took a ride on Westmark Boulevard and I'm heading down Westmark Boulevard. 
I cross the center line and I run into another car. I could show you a picture of that car today and you would look at it and you would think, how in the world did a human being walk out of that car? I tried to get away from the third accident, but the Mustang would not go any further. And so I remember, I remember this really, really clear. I, I got out of the car and there I was standing in the middle of Westmark Boulevard, noon. It's 12 o'clock, noon. And I'm trying to stand up like I was trying to stand up in the Burger King parking lot and I kept face planting in the middle of Westmark Boulevard. It's so sad, so destructive, so, so desperate, so lost. The cops came down Westmark Boulevard. I, I think they were going to the first hit and run accident in the Burger King parking lot. They saw me, they spun their cars around, they handcuffed me, they threw me in the back of a police car and I sat there and I watched in broad daylight, them pull pounds of marijuana out of my Mustang, crack cocaine, drug paraphernalia. And as I sat there, I decided it was, it was worth the try. I was gonna try to run again. So I got handcuffs on and I, I kind of worked my way up to the car and I, I, I lifted up the, the little lock and I unlocked the car and I got out of the police car and I started running down Westmark Boulevard. Of course, they started chasing me. I cut through a field, made it to a subdivision and came across a fence and I thought I can clear that fence. <laughs> And I went for it. <laughs> right into the fence, face down. They caught me. They roughed me up a little bit, rightly so. Basically carried me back to the car. Threw me in the back of the same cop car, but this time they put about a 300 pound burly police officer beside me as if to say, boy, you ain't running this time. <laughs> And then they took me to jail. It was the seventh time. But this time I was there to stay. This time nobody was gonna get me out. My parents had decided, hey, it's time for tough love. My buddies had decided, you're, you're done, that we don't have that kind of money. There I sat, there I sat, the Sumter County jail cell. In a little jail cell about the size of an area of about six by six, maybe six by eight. There I sat. And here, here's what I was facing that day. I was facing, this is what they charged me with. Possession of marijuana, possession of crack cocaine, possession of drug paraphernalia, three hit and runs, resisting arrest, assaulting a police officer and get you some of this, changing lanes unlawfully. <laughs> they, they, figuratively speaking and literally, they threw the book at me. I was facing five years in the state penitentiary and a $5,000 bond and nobody was going to get me out. But then something happened. Then a man by the name of Ray Jones, who was the county jail chaplain, he stopped by my jail cell one day 
and he struck up a conversation with me. And you gotta understand, I was so strung out. I was waking up at night in a cold sweat, craving crack cocaine. And he stopped by my jail cell and after striking up a conversation with me, he said, I wanna give you something. He said, I wanna give you a Bible. And he goes, I wanna encourage you to read this Bible. Now church, remember I grew up never church. I didn't understand anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't even know what a Bible was. I vaguely heard about it a little bit from my grandparents, but I had no idea. I said, where do I start? He said, start in the gospel of John. So I started reading gospel of John and I got the those verses that many of you, like I said, you might've grown up in the church. You, you might've heard these your whole life and therefore you might take them for granted. There is danger in great familiarity with the text. Others of you might be hearing, you might be hearing this kind of stuff for the first time. But regardless, just imagine hearing this for the first time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish, but have what? everlasting life for God so loved then I got to John 14 6 Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me and I read it and there I was I just read 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 the Bible I got finished with John I said where do I go now he said go read the gospel of Luke I read the gospel of Luke I got finished with the gospel of Luke he said he said go read Romans I read Romans that gloriously rich theological book. I just plowed through Romans for the first time. And then my court date came. It's time for me to go before the judge. And the day before I was to go before the judge, the chaplain came to my jail cell again. He would come frequently about once a week or so. And he said, hey, I wanna ask you two questions. He goes, number one, will you get a haircut? I said, sure. He goes, we have a barber here in the jail and he'll give you a haircut. He gave me a haircut, church. It was, can I say this in church? It was butt ugly. <laughs> have you ever heard of a bowl cut? You ever heard of a bowl cut? <laughs> huh? Ever? Yeah? That's about what he did. He just puts on my head, cut around and said, there you go, man. But I got a haircut. But then the chaplain asked me a question that forever changed my life. He said, do you want to become a Christian? Now, I didn't know what that really meant, to be honest with you. All I knew is that I was desperate. I was scared. I was enamored with the love of God I was reading about. And I was frightened to go spend five years in the state penitentiary. So I said, yes. And he said, well, I want, to, I want you to pray with me. And he got down on his knees and I got down on my knees right beside him. And there we were in that six by six jail cell. We were kneeling beside a steel bed with a mattress about that thick. And I remember on this side was the steel toilet. And I knelt down with Chaplain Jones. And I didn't know what I was doing. He just said, just, just pray after me. 
So he would say something and, and I would say, I don't remember exactly the prayer. It doesn't matter. The prayer doesn't save you. It is Jesus that saves you. Amen, church. And, and, and he prayed and I prayed and all, it was something like, Lord, I need you in my life. I need you to be my savior. I am a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said, amen. And I said, amen. And I stepped up and we embraced and Church, I'm not gonna sit here and try to tell you that everything was glorious after that and that I, I heard the angels in heaven start singing the hallelujah chorus. There was none of that. Truth is, I still woke up craving crack cocaine. But I went before the judge the very next day and I stood before the judge. I didn't have an attorney. He said, boy, where is your attorney? I said, your honor, I don't have one. It was the strictest judge in Sumter, South Carolina. Everybody knew about this dude. I said, I don't have one. I said, I want to share with you what happened yesterday. <laughs> he said, go ahead. And I tried the best of my ability. I guess you could say it was the first time I ever preached. <laughs> By the way, I've never said that before. In all the years of sharing my story, I've never said that statement before. It was the first time I preached. I shared a little bit of what I am sharing with you today. And it was short and condensed. I said, your honor, but I, I accepted Jesus Christ yesterday. And I said, your honor, I don't, I don't wanna go to prison, I'm scared. I said, your honor, but I don't, I don't wanna go free either. Believe it or not, I said that, I don't wanna go free. I said, I need help. I said, I am addicted. I am, I said, I don't understand it, but I'm waking up at night in a cold sweat, craving these drugs. And I shared and shared and shared. And finally I got finished and he took a deep breath and he said, boy, if I could tell you all the times that people come before me, Having found, and he did this, I'm not even kidding. Having found Jesus in jail, <laughs> he said, it'd blow your mind. He says, I sentenced you to five years in the state penitentiary. And it was about as quiet as it is in here right now. And my heart sunk and it felt like eternity before he slammed that gavel down and he said, but I suspend that sentence to three years probation contingent upon you successfully completing a drug rehabilitation center. Which basically meant I had to go back to jail. I had to wait for an opening in a local drug rehabilitation center, which I did. I went back for two months. An opening finally occurred. And I went to the Palmetto Center in Florence, South Carolina. This is not some charter rivers where people check you in. This is totally voluntary, which means they will kick you out in a heartbeat. I went there. You're only supposed to stay one month. I asked special permission to stay two months. On Tuesday nights, they had what was called the gospel hour. On Tuesday night, some preacher would roll into town and preach the gospel. He would always bring with him a pianist and she'd sit over there and she'd play the old hymns and he'd preach the gospel. I never missed Tuesday nights. My counselor, his name was Joe Hartwell. Joe Hartwell was a shriveled up 70 year old recovering drug addict. He drank black coffee and smoked Marlboro cigarettes. He chain smoked cigarettes. He'd sit in his chair with his legs crossed, he'd smoke, he'd chain smoke one right after another. He was the kind of guy who would yell you up into a corner until he finally started convincing me, 
You're where you are because of you. You're committing slow suicide and he would not back off until I started dealing with my junk. But then he was kind of a hard man who would get on his knees and cry with you. Changed my life, Joe Hartwell. I asked special permission, like I said, to stay two months. I stayed an extra month with Joe. Tuesday nights, preaching every single Tuesday night, every day, counseling all day long, group therapy, all of that kind of stuff. After two months, I got out. I got out and I went back to school. My parents had divorced. No high school would take me at first, so I went to a night GED program. Night GED program, finally realized that wasn't going to cut it for me. Got back into high school, finally found a little school that would accept me. I went to school, graduated late. I was that 20-year-old in high school. I was that guy. What are you doing here, dude? You should be out of here by now. Worked really hard, got my grades up high enough to get into the University of South Carolina for undergrad, and I finally declared my first collegiate major. Ready for this? My first major in college was pharmacy. (laughs) I am a jacked up individual. I don't know why, but to this day, I don't understand it, but I guess subconsciously, somewhere in the subterranean area of my soul, I concluded I had dealt enough drugs illegally. It was time to prescribe some legally. It's crazy. While I was at the University of South Carolina, I actually got into pharmacy school. I didn't just declare the major. I got into pharmacy school and I was going But God started to open up doors for me to share what I'm sharing with you today. And so I started sharing my testimony around the state of South Carolina. I would speak at high school gatherings and I would speak in churches. And I remember speaking at a church one Sunday afternoon. I mean, I would get into this old piece of junk Toyota hatchback Tercel. I mean, I'd gone from a 1968 bad to the bone Mustang to this blue rusted out Toyota Tercel. It was one of those cars. You ever had one of these? One of those cars when you're you're driving it, you stop and you turn it off and it doesn't want to turn off. You ever had one of those? You turn it off and I would drive all over the state. I made a commitment to God. I said, God, I'll go wherever, wherever you open up a door. I spoke at a church one Sunday afternoon. And I shared my story and they asked me if I would interview for their student pastor position. And I said, yes. And to be real honest with you today, I only said yes because I needed money to get through pharmacy school. I said, yes, they hired me. I was their student pastor. About three months in, my friend, Steve Sugar, who was the senior pastor of that church, he invited me to preach on a Sunday morning. And I can't fully explain it to you except to say it was as clear as God has ever spoken to me. I mounted that, in those days they called it the pulpit, it's not a table. I mounted, and in South Carolina they call it the pulpit. Uh, (laughs) Come on now. I mounted the pulpit and I preached my heart out. And I knew within about five minutes of preaching, I knew, I knew. God had called me to preach the gospel. 
I still got that sermon today on cassette tape. It is horrible. It's the worst sermon you've ever heard. Young person, if you don't know what a cassette tape is, let me explain it to you. That's a little plastic thing. I walked off the stage that Sunday morning and went to the University of South Carolina that Monday morning, gathered with my organic chemistry professor, physiology and anatomy professor and the dean of the pharmacy program. And I said, I gotta pull out of the program. I said, God's called me to preach the gospel. They didn't understand it. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't fathom it. Gave me a chance to witness to them right there in the pharmacy program that day. I dropped out of the pharmacy program, got my grades up high enough, finally got into Duke University where I did my master's. From there, I worked hard, felt God calling me to start New Hope Church. I went to the Beeson Pastor Program at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky to do my PhD work, which is when I met your pastor, Kevin Myers. Finished that in 2002 and started New Hope Church. And I am here to tell you today, if the Son has set you free, come on, you are free indeed. Say it with me, John 8, 36. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. I want to read a passage of scripture to you as we wrap up here today, but it's from Colossians. It's from Colossians. It's Chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, unbelievable passage of scripture. But when I leave here today, I hope you don't remember some mere mortal. I hope you remember the power of the gospel to set a person free. And this is how Paul would put it in Colossians 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free. Everybody say free. free. And free from accusation if you continue in your faith. Established and firm not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and for which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, if you got your Bibles open, I wanna encourage you to do something that I've done in my Bible. If you look at Colossians 1, right there at the end where it says, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant, I have scratched out the name Paul. And I've put Benji. This is the gospel that you have heard. Under heaven of which I, Benji, put your name there, have become a servant. I'm so thankful today that we serve a God who is able to set a person free. Amen? I'm so thankful that we serve a God who is a bondage breaker. Amen? I'm so glad today that we serve a God who is a storm soother. Amen? Amen. And I hope and pray that 12 Stone will continue to be a beacon, a beacon of faith, hope, and life 
that as you continue to live out your ministry and you continue to bring people to this church, people will continue to find freedom in Christ. Amen? Just yesterday I was... Um, running here in Atlanta. As I'm here this weekend, I'm staying down by the mall of Georgia. And there's a trail right by the hotel that runs up under the road there and runs across towards the, the mall of Georgia. And if you've ever been over there, you know there's a, there's a creek there. You might call it a river in some spots. There's a creek. And I'm jogging down this path. And I had this thought that I want to leave with you today. There's two ways to handle the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life individually, but also as a church, two ways. One is you're gonna be a reservoir. And a reservoir, you know what a reservoir is. The water comes into it and it just stays there. It just collects, it grows stagnant. There's not a lot of life in a reservoir. And I had this thought because I went through one area as I'm running yesterday, I went through one area and, and, the, and the river is just kind of barely moving. But I went on down a little bit further and it was gushing, it was rushing through and I had this thought, you can either be a reservoir or 12 stone, you can be a river. You can be a river that allows the life-giving water of Jesus Christ to flow in and through you as a church and you've been known to be a river that allows the power of the gospel to flow through you. And so as you live out your ministries in these days together, may you continue to be a church that brings people to the life-giving water of Jesus Christ. Amen. That you would continue to reach out because one matters. You continue to reach out and you bring a person, regardless of socioeconomic level, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of whether they've been in the church their entire life or like me, they've never been in the church. And you bring them to the place where they find a God who can set them free. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, I wanna thank you for this amazing church. God, I wanna thank you for what you have done in this church all these years. And Father, I wanna pray that this would continue to be a place here in Georgia, but even beyond, Father God, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is declared and men and women and children and students are introduced to the power of the gospel and they are set free to become all that you, Lord God, have destined them to be. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand here and proclaim your word. Father, if I've said anything that is not of you, would you let that fall by the wayside? But God, those things that are of you, would you impress them indelibly upon the hearts and the minds and the souls of 12 stone? That you, Lord God, would continue to set men and women free by the power of the gospel. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the people of God said together, amen. Amen. amen.